0: Welcome to Sympathy for the Devil, a podcast about addiction with James Marshall and Adam Manovic. What is addiction? In this podcast, we explore addiction in its many and varied forms, from sugar to love, from alcohol to gambling, from work to sex. You can get addicted to heroin and alcohol, but can you get addicted to your phone or computer game? In this podcast, We talk to people whose lives have been affected by addiction. This is a program that explores what is and what it means to be addicted. Warning, the content of this program contains material that some people might find disturbing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sympathy for the Devil podcast. My name's Adam. With me is James. Hi everyone and welcome to Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, We've got Charlotte in studio. She's going to talk about uh, her story, uh, her journey with ICE. Uh, Charlotte, how are you?
0: I'm well, thanks Adam. How are you going? Thanks for having me here.
1: Thank you. Um, I think uh, to start off with, let's talk about uh, how you got into the drug ICE uh, initially. Uh, I guess, what was the temptation there? How did it make you feel? Uh, In what context were you using it? Um, initially,
0: uh, I got into ice or crystal meth when I was really quite young, uh, younger than most. So I was thirteen the first time I tried it, and this was before there was sort of the hype about ice and how bad it really was. It hadn't really hit the news yet and become this big bad thing that that it is today. Um, you hadn't really heard about it much. I mean, we were doing lots of speed, so it was it was just one up from from speed. Um, You know, except it wasn't as dirty as putting it up your nose. I suppose it was kind of a little bit more convenient. Uh, So I started doing it very recreationally from from the age of 13, and then it would be you know weekends. I would go to a lot of raves. So you know you, you go out to a rave and then you kick on. So it was part of the kick on.
1: Charlotte, maybe just um, describe uh, more the feeling early on of taking the drug, and I guess the high, the high that you felt, and um, yeah, some more of the context around that using.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the feeling that I would get initially, and it, it, you know, the state of euphoria and the rush of you know, dopamines that you get um, from it is is pretty intense. Um, but we would just use it to sort of keep going. Um, we'd party all weekend and it would just be endless and you'd have, you know, the energy to do it. So it was, it was just really used as, like, a tool along with other things. I mean, we were drinking, we were smoking weed, so it was just used as taking acid. It was a support tool to sort of keep us going, you know, not not letting us stop, which is great, because then we could just trash on more. You know, what, what got me to using drugs at such a young age? Uh, obviously, it's not something that every... Every thirteen-year-old girl who grew up, you know, in, in a nice part of Sydney, um, is, is going out west and smoking ice every weekend, or even smoking ice at home. Um, I, you know, I think that I grew up very quickly. Um, from at a very young age, I was surrounded by adults who had a lot of complex issues. Um, my father was a bad alcoholic, and he also used to abuse drugs. And, um, you know, on my mother's side, I had uncles who were heroin addicts and, and just families, you know, and uncles that were, you know, um, alcoholics. And it was just, it was just really sort of, we would kind of be treated like adults. So all of the issues that the parents were, you know, my mum was, was very focused on her career. She was working a lot. I didn't live with my dad. I essentially, my mum and when she was home, but essentially we would go home to my mum's best friend every day. And she was a recovered alcoholic. And she was all the right kind of types of crazy in terms of her, like, eccentricities, and she was fun to be around. But when she was, you know, on a low, she wouldn't leave bed, and it would become more that that we were looking after her. And this was when we were really, really young, you know, under 10, my sister and I, um, and... Yeah, we we just had to, to grow up really quickly and we were sort of given these. So so I was kind of put in an adult situation from a really young age. But then again, to me, adults were these, were these people with all these really complicated, like complex issues. So when I should have just like, you know, like, I think that it was like, OK, well, where are my issues? Like <laughs> these people, like, you know, you're kind of like, you're not carefree. It's like, no, no, everyone's got all these problems. So, yeah, and and because of that, also, I had a level of freedom Um, You know, I was always really open with my... You know, my dad wouldn't really know what I was doing half the time because I didn't live with him all the time. But, you know, we lived between my mum and my dad's or I had a choice to go between. So, you know, often probably one parent thought that I was at the other person's house. There was a bit of that. Also, it was like, as long as you checked in, it was okay. So if I sent my mum a text at the end of a... You know, if I've gone out on a Saturday morning and I sent her a text on a Sunday afternoon... Just the time I'm still alive, that was that was kind of valid. My sister sort of paved the way and You're of right. of a bad influence. Like she was two years older than me, but she when she first started sort of, you know, acting out, she it was kind of like in a resentment towards my mother. Like so she would do things like sneak out of her bed, like lock her door, drill a lock on her door, and then jump out of her bedroom window in the middle of the night. And then it's just like we get up in the morning and she's just gone and it's like where is she? And there was some slut that lived up the street and she was like, you know, it was obvious that because my mum went over her mother, she was missing too. So it was like, oh God, you know, (laughs) where are they? So she was out with this slut. With with this slut who just had a habit of getting picked up by, you know. Yeah. So I think because my sister did it so badly in such a way that it was like terrifying for my mother. I was like, okay, cool. As long as I'm like, tell her where I am. As long as I tell her where I am. I mean, I was getting up to much worse stuff and the people I hung around with like, they were sort of like the hoodlums of, you know, the, the, you know, the lads of the area. You know, we have lads in Sydney and they were very much that. And so I think for my... Well, she said this to me, for my mother, she felt somewhat safe that I was hanging around with the bad crowd, that I was friends with them. So if I was walking home at three in the morning, if there was someone who was, you know, less than, you know, like a bit a bit scary or dodgy, like, she's like, oh, but you probably knew them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so that was sort of... Yeah, that was why why she kind of justified letting it be okay to um yeah for me to stay out till or told times
1: so you know like you talk about acting out like and things like that like what would be a typical session early on like I, I know I know it could be anything but like to describe some of those times acting out
0: I um I mean I didn't act out in a way that I mean I was never resentful I never sort of wanted to upset my parents, my family, everyone, anyone around me. So I think my acting out was more, it was more like against authority. Like with, you know, I I remember being like bashed by police at like 14 years old in the city and really badly. And then they took us back to, so this girl and I got into this fight and, at Town Station. And I know, I'd actually gone out to Wollongong that night. And um, my friend and I, she... She'd taken me out there to this guy's house. We ended up smoking what we thought was ice turned out to actually be crack, apparently, and drinking like a bottle of o p rum and uh, yeah, and so you can only imagine what that cocktail would do like you know it just makes you like real angry <laughs> and yeah, we <laughs> and so we came back into the city and I, I don't I mean, yeah, there was some girl I didn't like like I knew her, but i didn't know her, I didn't like her, and so next minute. You know, I've got like a smashed bottle waving around. Her and I fighting, but then we're both about fourteen. And then these cops, and I. About next minute, there's like six cops on top of me, and they're slamming my head into the ground. Yeah. And I can feel the blood like rushing down my face. And then I can I can remember like people that I knew were like staying there, and they were like screaming like. And then, yeah, and then we got down to the the Surrey Hills Police Station, and we're in the cells and. <laughs> They'd put – so they they call them the fish tank because they're all completely clear. So there's three cells and I was on one side. The girl was on the other side and there was this really drunk guy in the middle and he was sort of jeeing us up. He was getting us to keep fighting throughout (laughs) – and I just remember him turning to me at one stage, because he was more on my side, I remember, and just throwing up and this like <laughs> this vomit just hitting the glass and then rushing down the drain that was sort of on sort a of tilt. And um, it wasn't until the police realised how long, how old we, we actually were and realised that we were 14, They um and, and the, they'd hurt us. Like, I had a black eye and a massive cut in my eyebrow, which I still have a scar from, you know, 14 years later. And they just... They just let us out. They let me out, I think, first. Or, no, her out first. Like, one of us out first. I think her out first so that, you know, we wouldn't be let out at the same time. But, um, yeah, they they didn't call parents nothing. They were just, like, because they realised how screwed they would be if they did. So, yeah, I mean, so my acts of rebellion acting out was more against, like... And I never... I wouldn't tell my mother <coughs> about that. I told, I've, told, I've told her since, and it's made her hate police even more. But I, um, it was against... I don't know authority or just yeah. Mm-hmm. De- definitely, it's extreme acting out. I, I'm more. I mean, I I wasn't. I'm, in hindsight, I knew that I was. I mean, now that I'm an adult, I I see that I was getting myself into those situations. But I know that from a young age, I sort of had a mentality that was like, "This happens to me." Like this this stuff, and it wasn't intentional. Like I didn't set out to to get myself in that situation. But I was hanging out with people that there was a lot of of violence and. Fighting and yeah, it was pretty normal. Especially like I, I kind of was was mainly hanging out with like a big group of guys. So and they were quite a bit older, and it was it was quite normal for like one of them to get locked up for throwing a punch that that weekend. And yeah, it was I suppose it was just like kind of my turn to have a bit of a story.
1: Maybe. So it was normalised. It was normalized. completely normalised. Um, mm. Yeah, very similar to that in you know in black fellow communities like the the police and um, Aboriginal people. In the town that I grew up in, at least, it's like, I write a passage, oh, it's a union locker this this weekend, it's like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. that's your, it's like coming of age.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's having, it's your story. Yeah, I think so.
1: Hmm. So then then how did it progress, your um, addiction?
0: It progressed um, very badly, like, in my... Yeah, I mean, I had a few stints where I was younger when I was still using quite hard, but I I kept it purely weekend, so I could still sort of use it on the weekend. I think by year twelve, I was smoking a bit during school, but that was more because it was a bit of a fuck you to school to be able to go and smoke a pipe in the toilet at school and then come out and okay. do whatever you do in year eleven. <laughs>
1: what suburb was this? Sorry?
0: This was in North Sydney.
1: Oh, North Sydney. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So when you say have a pipe, have a crack, well, a crack pipe in the bathroom at school um, and then go to a class that my friend and I hated just, just because, you know, we thought it would be, yeah, it is a fuck you the system, I suppose, like to, to do that really. Um, and yeah, it was still sort of fun then. And it was, it was fun for a long time up until, you know, it was really obvious that it wasn't fun anymore. Um, so I was working you know, I started working full-time when I was 18 and still sort of had like, you know, I had I had a year where I got really healthy, you know, was going out with a guy who was really health conscious and that was great. But, you know, that's probably a one-off sort of what a time in my life. But,
1: um... So yeah. what, what, when you went out with this fella, when, when was this, sorry?
0: This would have been, um, I was 20, 21,
1: yeah. So after you were out of school. Um, after
0: I was out of school and I was quite, in quite a bit of a state, The yeah, prior to that so I met him he was about 10 years older than me and and he hated drugs he hated lads so kind of but it was in a very controlling way you know it was like helped me get healthy and like really gym focused but it was like it was more that he didn't want me hanging around with other guys and he wanted me to look good rather than he wanted to help me out you know that's what what I (laughs) see in hindsight I mean there probably was a little bit of care there but um yeah so that went on for a couple of years and then and then it got really bad and, and he actually like uh, got me to get a fifty thousand dollar loan which he he um took most you know, most of this business that he wanted anyway. So then it got really bad and that's when um you know, I would still I would go back out again on the weekends, um, every weekend and smoke ice. But then but then that's probably when it started happening during the week too, because you party all weekend and I held quite a, a you know, professional a very professional job. I had. I was in a manager position of of a an agency, and needed to yeah be functioning. And so, I I'd keep going after the weekend for yeah to be able to function. And so, I, I could function really well at work. In yeah. fact, sometimes even better.
1: Can you know? I can I ask a question about that? I've heard a lot of stories about um, ice uh, people taking ice and being able to really be switched on at yeah. work, and, and especially in professional environments because. People are bouncing things off you all the time. You know, you've got, you know, you have. To, it's it's very fast paced. A lot of the well, places we work in today. Can you tell me about how that might have helped?
0: Definitely. So I think that you know, ice did really help me um, at work. I think these days, it uh, it wouldn't because I'm too aware of of the fact that I am high and I would feel too gu- guilty. I think. But then um, I was younger and and I think that I was quite. I was quite like essentially because I age anyway so if people thought that I was high, people wouldn't think I was high because I'd just be you know a little bit more hyperactive than than everyone else maybe um but that was just me and I I think it comes down to like focus you know you can kind of focus really when you when you use you can focus on one task so you can sit there, you can like draw for eight like hours or you can paint something for hours or people get in like really obsessive patterns um Which happens as well, like, you know, just sorting and, yeah, it's kind of like, I think that it does give you sort of traits of, like, extreme, like, OCD or or so, but if you have, like, a, a, you know, a good task at hand to focus on, yeah, you can be really productive and and I was in finance, so uh, some of it was quite, like, monotonous and, like, there'd be, you know, data entry and it was actually quite enjoyable when I was hired to sit there and just Um, enter (laughs) things into a system. Okay, right. Yeah. Um,
1: So... Just a question. Like, I've, I've kind of got some, we've, we've met a couple of times now, and I've got a little bit of an observation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think ice um, affected your personality specifically? Because I know that, um, you know, the same drug can affect different people based on, you know, their their personal kind of, um, you know, traits yeah. differently. I can see you're very, like, you're very finicky and moving around and, you know, very kind of um, quick. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just interested to know that how something like ice would have, like enabled that more almost or maybe depressed some... some yeah,
0: of... I think... Um, no, that, that's very true. I think it's it's a good question. and um, It's it's interesting because it did kind of... I mean, it, it did would centre to me a bit in terms of kind of putting me in, in a one-track mind. One of the things... So I, I got in trouble with the police and sort of went through this whole idea, ideal of getting off it, um, which meant getting better. But one of the things that they sort of recognised when I went to rehab is that I would have from a young age probably have had ADHD and I so they treat you know, they treat ADHD with the same medication that's pretty much a legal version of ICE. So they Correct. did. They would. Give, they gave me something similar when I was in rehab to give me as a replacement for ice. So, and that kind of came in my defence because it was like really that I was self medicating because it would give me. Yeah, it would, it would calm me down. I mean, I still would be probably as fiddly or whatever.
1: <laughs> you found the medication did help when you were given a rehab.
0: The medication uh, rehab. Yeah. So this medication, um, it actually is designed for. Yeah, it's designed, It did help. It was, but it's designed for people. Who have like narcolepsy, so for me, like when I quit ice, one of the hardest things was staying awake because you, know, you constantly had needed to like stimulate yourself to stay awake. So it helped in in a sense that um, yeah, I was I was awake and feeling a bit of a buzz, which you know which I was used to and concentrated. Yeah, more, but it definitely the ice ice would help me concentrate and and you know and the more you use it is like that too. But I couldn't, I probably couldn't even. I couldn't, it got to a point when I was using where I couldn't do anything without it. Like I literally could not do. It was like your fuel. It was my fuel. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. And, and, um. Talk
1: about, can you please talk about like, I guess a tipping point when you started to realize that? Like, I know like it's very, as you see, yeah. the way you two saw it's very gradual and I, there must have been moments along the way you're like, well, and it especially got really when you're bad. working.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I was using and working and functioning for such a long, long time, um, that yeah, and people around me weren't, you know. So it was kind of always this thing where I was looked at as a bit of like a soldier and had a bit of extra stamina and and I suppose it's you know I suppose really deep down I was kind of just snowballing and making everything worse. So when it did come to like my my low point, um, it was it was like really bad. Everything sort of unravelled. Um, it would have been when I so I went over to Southeast Asia for six months uh, when I was twenty four. I'm oh, sorry, 25 to go and um, to go and I had finished up at a job for seven years and and I was using really badly and no one really knew how badly I was using so, I think part of me was like oh I'm going to go and change my surroundings you know you know do a geographical, go somewhere else, one particular situation where I probably realised then how um how how dangerous it was is um, in Cambodia like the taxi drivers, um so I went I, I travelled around a bit when I was living over there I ended up in Cambodia. And um, there was, uh, you know, taxi drivers there. We were all out one night. I was, I was with a group of people that I'd met in Thailand. We were all drinking. But I could tell, like, you know, you can just tell by looking at these taxi drivers that they're high and they're going to have it. And so went around asking a few. And you kind of say, you know, because they want to use. They don't earn much money. So you're like, OK, do you want to have a smoke? You know, so I'll pay. And, like, if you, you, you get it and then we'll smoke together, you know. Jumped on the back of, his, of a taxi bike and... Yeah, and off we went into, like, the, the ghetto and ended up, um, yeah, in this house and went up to this, like, attic to, to smoke and it, it was fine, but I was just, like, kept saying to him that if you, you know, like, like just being really aggressive with him and saying that I was going to kill him if he tried anything, blah, 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 and then, yeah, I mean, then he dropped me back to where my friends were, it was all so fine. So no one you weren't
1: messed around with if you were threatening murder well, on these uh, guys. I mean,
0: yeah, mm. <laughs> but that was the way I <laughs> <to get. laughs> It worked, didn't it? Yeah.
1: That is the story of addiction, the kind of dangerous situations that you surprisingly, in retrospect, find yourself in. Like, it's really part and parcel of the journey um, of using illegal substances, not so much alcohol. We're not talking about gambling and other addictions here. But the illegal ones, you really do find yourself in very, very precarious situations. I know I have over the years and been surprised that I survived. From there, was that where it got the worst for you in Thailand? I
0: think that, I mean, I had a level of like ruthlessness about me, you know, from young ages. I think that I've painted a picture of. So I think, but then I, I just feel, yeah, I put myself in. Kind of, yeah, it probably did. Like it wasn't in Thailand. I mean, I was fine. I mean, I had, I was you know, a young girl traveling around the world and to everyone else and to my Instagram feed and it looked like I was having, like, the the time of my life. But, and, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't obvious at all. Um, I just looked like every other 20-something-year-old girl living in Southeast Asia. Um, And it wasn't until when I, I, like, I really put myself, uh, I had no one to tell me to stop, you know, and any friend that I met over there, they, they didn't know me, so I just had no one to tell me to stop. <clears throat> and I really needed that. I needed that my whole life, you know. And that's probably why I went out with sort of guys that were a bit more controlling because they'd sort of put me up and not going out, you know. Because, yeah, I, I just didn't have the capacity in me to, to stop myself. So it wasn't until I was had this freedom of uh, the world um, and, yeah, to, to get as messed up as possible and put myself in as crazy situations as possible. Um, and then I got back to Sydney. It was just really, it really hit me um, of how, yeah, I mean, I just wasn't ready to, to sort of have a normal nine-to-five life and you know, live this sort of like really controlled mundane existence, which is still sort of, you know, which I still struggle with these days, but I suppose I have a healthier a mind. Um, and also, like, I came back and a lot of the friends that we were sort of partying with, it was all a bit happy-go-lucky before and then something just shifted in that six months I mean I think that people had just gotten really bad like people had become bad ice addicts anyone who was sort of dabbling in it at the time before I left it was fun and games but then pretty quickly it can catch up with you um in terms of like really getting a hold on you and, and ruining like your life quite severely so people were in sort of bad ways and people just weren't themselves and there was conflict within groups of friends that that happened before so just came back to this really cold and and dark and dark Sydney and um I was using a lot by then because I'd picked up such a big tolerance um, while being in Asia where so much of it um so yeah I I you know I was in so much debt getting myself into more debt and and sort of just yeah like um trying to, to keep, yeah, to keep using. Um, that was my main sort of prorogative. I mean, I got back and worked, but that was sort of, that was the main the main goal.
1: So uh, that period when you got back from Thailand was very much when reality hits you, that, hey, uh, you know. It hit me that I was definitely
0: an addict and I definitely was sick. And I had friends that kind of, I got home and they saw me, including my mother, you know, who was just like, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, I was just not. I was not well. And I didn't want to get better either. How did you feel? As a, I I think, I mean, I know for me as an ice addict, the the best thing really that can happen to you, because you don't have like this this capacity to feel, and you sort of don't carry emotion. It may, like, it numbs you so much. So the best thing for an ice addict who doesn't want to get better is probably people cutting them off because you're like, sweet, one less person that I have to lie to, or one less person that I have to deal with. Um, feeling kind of bad for that—that that I'm dogging, you know, that I'm not coming to something, or that I'm coming to something looking completely frazzled, or you know, all that you know. So I had quite a few friends, um, close friends who are back in my life now that that you know respectfully sort of contacted me and said, "Um, until you get better, I just I can't." I had friends that, like take me out for dinner and tell me that they're pretty much like, not going to be friends with me anymore until I got my shit together. Um, yeah, so. But but to me, I was like that was that was great because I could just keep going further down the rabbit hole and, and hanging around with the really you know unsatisfactory people that that had you know a lot of eyes yeah. and. Yeah. So it's
1: like there was a shift in your life between people that you know <clears throat> was your people that loved you and people that were you know kind of slowly cutting you off because yeah. they couldn't rely on you to this movement to you know tr- um, people that were using like you and.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely lost a lot of love in my life um, and. Yeah, and surrounded myself with with people that were probably as sad as sad as I was, you know, in, in a sense, in a true sense. Although I I didn't realize, um, yeah, and I suppose it's interesting. I mean, I can reflect on this is that when because um, like talking about having sort of no no feelings on it, and that was that was for years. I I didn't have feelings, and I think like that was my main problem with the, with my addiction to ice is because uh, it was for me it was like. I kept using to not deal with shit. It was sort of this thing, and every time I would I would try and get clean, you kind of start feeling like, oh you no, know, this feeling thing isn't good, or like this reflecting thing. It just was so foreign um, after like two years of like like a period of like two solid, two and a half solid years of of like numbing myself, and yeah. And so there was a lot of moments there where I sort of missed out on on um, emotion that most people would have towards, like, a situation, like someone having a baby or something, you know, where you should feel um, happy or sad for someone if they lose someone. Yeah, I just felt nothing. I ended up getting arrested, which was probably, like, it was the lowest point of my life at that stage. Like, I'd been awake for days. I was going to some festival thing and bringing in caps for, like, my friends and I and um, some undercovers pretty much, like pretty much sussed me out and knew that I was acting suspiciously and I was so tweaked out that you know when they came up to me I like literally like the bottle I was holding I just dropped it because I was like, like <laughs> 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 I couldn't handle it <laughs> nothing I had nothing left in me to try and like keep this up anymore and I think for me it was just like, I surrender I surrender to this and so um, yeah, it was sort of the first time that I'd ever suffered any like real consequences, like, you know, that that weren't just like hurting me, but any sort of like, fuck, I'm in trouble here. The drug was like everything. Like, I was, I really was part of my, my identity. And I, I was still quite young, you know, I was 26, um, 27. It was like, okay, this is, you know, my potential is so much more than this. And um, I've also been quite a high achiever my whole life. I mean, so it was, yeah, it, it was. It was a time where I was like, no, I can fight this and, and I'm know i going to be okay, I think. But the court case went on for quite a long time and I was still really heavily using. Um, and it wasn't until I actually my sentencing and I didn't get a good result, um, you know, I, I got sentenced and, and it was quite serious and um, that was when, you know, um, the people that I was with, you know, my uncle and my granny sort of turned around to me and were like, What's, you know, what are you going to do? And my uncle was like you need to go to fucking rehab like and we appealed it and off I went and and really dealt with it um and then yeah and then actually came back and managed to get off you know section 10 eventually but it went on for quite some time and I think yeah so I mean a 10 a section 10 yeah Can you explained what that is so section 10 is like no conviction um so yeah I was pretty lucky to get that went to rehab uh after I got sentenced, so pretty much had one last hurrah after I got sentenced, which yeah, went like on, good, which like went a, on for like, like a, f- a good, good four days, like a good four days, and <laughs> and then um and then yeah, after that was like, all right, fuck, this has got to stop, and just got clean and actually went to CMA, which is Crystal Meth Anonymous, so it's like yeah, AA, but just for just for ice users, yeah. and went there on day three, which I'd never like, I tried to, I tried to quit a lot of times up to then, up until that point, I'd quite like quit quite a few times, and I. I could never get past day three. You sort of wake up and that's what sort I of think. So day three I went into CMA and I Yeah, and, and it really worked. I went in the next day and the next day and then it got to like day seven. Or yeah, day seven of being clean and called my uncle who's actually you know, a recovered heroin addict, and he he was like waiting. I didn't realise he was waiting already, had like a rehab like already, you know, information to give me. He's like, Why don't you like you yeah, know I was like, Yeah, I think I probably should go somewhere. He had already go. And, um, yeah, and then day 11, being clean, which is the longest I'd been clean in probably – probably since I was, like, really, really quite young because I was using every weekend. So it was never, like, more than seven days that I wasn't – or five days that I wasn't using. So it was, yeah, um, walked into a rehab, that, you know, an a inpatient rehab. And it was quite an intense rehab in the sense that they really made you, like – you know, it wasn't just, like, a detox unit. Like, they really made you come to terms with – you know every aspect of your life and to reflect, and that like you, you know that it was up to you to get better and you know they really made you so um yeah, I learned a lot a lot in rehab about things that i never i never um let myself sort of um yeah do it before yeah and i and I you know it wasn't until I was you know in in rehab really that that I realized that whole thing of like I realized that vulnerability is a good thing, like for me, it was always a dirty word it was a weak word and yeah. And obviously, like now it seems so obvious. And I think, but I think that happens with a lot of other people as well. So I never thought vulnerability was a positive thing ever. Um, and one, one like emotion that I really had this massive like kind of breakthrough with. So I always thought that I was completely fearless. And, I, and then I never, um, yeah, I never thought I was scared or, or fear is just something that I never felt. And then I sort of had this massive breakthrough there where I'm like, Holy shit, actually the whole time I was shit scared and that was like the one thing that I was running away from was that I was terrified. Because I had to sort of be an adult at such a young age, I had this like fake adult suit on where I thought that it was like this way to be, you know that I couldn't be vulnerable and I had to kind of like not tell people if I was having issues and I had to be complex but I couldn't help you know I couldn't seek help you know <laughs> so I had this like but I'd never really let myself be um, be like a young innocent person before so I had to realize yeah I mean they had the whole thing in, in the rehab I went to about like soothing your inner child. And that inner child in me was like, you know, I'm a fun person. But in terms of like soothing something and actually having that moment with yourself where it's like, hey, you know, you need to look after yourself. Um, Yeah, it wasn't there. So I sort of realized that there was, it took me a long while to grapple with the fact that there is a middle, there's a middle ground there, you know. So to me, there was no middle person. Yeah. I come across as maybe quite a boring person these days because that's what I want to. That's how I want to present myself. Because I don't want people to know. You know, I don't want to go out for a few beers and, and sort of tell people what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, because it flows quite qu- easily once I start. So yeah. Um, but then I have to sort of figure. Yeah, I mean, I just there's constant sort of like telling myself that, um, you know, I'm I'm you know doing well and you know yeah. <laughs> About a year after I got clean and got working again, and was working nine to five and then sort of like wasn't being as social, like just kind of, you know, being, living quite a normal, simple life. And I got to a point where I'm like, oh, shit, is, like, is this it? And this weird feeling of like, like, is this it? Like without all the other shit, is this it? You know, is this as, as good as it gets? And that was like, you know, that was a, a period and it still sort of touches that, but, you, you know, you just have to, you have to find other ways to um to distract yourself and I, I'm you know I'm not completely sober these days I still go out every now and again and, and indulge um,
1: but it's so yeah you it's, still go out and hit and hit ice every now and then
0: um very very like yeah occasionally and like other drugs um, so it's like a
1: like seeing an old lover yeah
0: exactly yeah I mean it, it's nice to know that you know you can still sort of um you know um, yeah, have a little have a little play around but not have to, you know, not go back to where you are. And it's, like, it's this whole thing of not – of kind of knowing that you're stronger than the drug. I mean, that drug controlled me for a long time and to know that I'm in, in control of it. The whole thing about, like, I don't do – like, I don't stand in the mirror and do affirmations, but there's a lot of, like, positive self – you know, like, internal self-talk these days, which I didn't give myself before. Um, and that's – yeah – that probably keeps me going more than anything else. Is like reminding myself to respect myself and
1: yeah. And what, definitely... what advice would you give, I guess, to uh, yourself? Say um, in that period just after Thailand when you were going when you were using very hard, or when you were fourteen. Like what? Yeah. Would you, what would you say to someone in your position?
0: I think that um, yeah, like it's it's about going and getting help. Like I never got, I never wanted to get help. I mean, for like a whole series of things that happened to me in my younger years that definitely were, like, therapy worthy um, in terms of getting assaulted and, and things like that. And um I – that there is help available and that, like, you know, like love yourself enough to to heal yourself from things instead of, like, letting them, like, yeah, just, just get worse and worse and one trauma rips you open more and then, yeah, you're just feeling a hole full of trauma because you didn't – yeah, you didn't have enough respect for yourself to – to heal or think that it was or think that people care enough yeah I just I really neglected myself in terms of um, of um, yeah of healing a lot
1: okay well thanks Charlotte thanks so much for coming in to sympathy for the devil really appreciate your honesty your story and um, the hope that you um, provided our listeners Great. Thank you Charlotte
0: thanks guys thanks Adam thanks James it was um yeah it was nice to talk to you <laughs>
1: Join the discussion, visit our Facebook page, Sympathy for the Devil Podcast, and let us know what you think.